Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy towards us. We thank you for your love. We thank you how you lead us and guide us. And we know that you've said you will complete the work that you are doing in us right now till the day of Christ Jesus. And we thank you that you use your word to change us, uh, to make us more like your son, Jesus. And I do pray as we look into your word this morning that you'd be greatly glorified and that I would share it exactly as you intended, that we would receive it as you desire so that you'd be uh, exalted this morning and in our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there are a lot of wonderful things that we see in our lives, uh, things that God does, and we look at it and we rejoice, uh, whether it's uh, a marriage, you know, whether it's uh, a baby being born, whether it's the Lord providing something that you need. Uh, we rejoice, we praise him, we respond in thankfulness. And, uh, and within that, uh, there are some wonderful things that God has brought forth that Sometimes we don't respond rightly to. Sometimes we don't have a right heart in those things. And one of those things can be the wonder of his word. Uh, the Lord brings forth his word, just as we've seen, uh, he speaks through the creation, uh, through the heavens, declare his glory. They tell of his glory day in and day out, and everyone sees that. But his word, he speaks to those who will listen, to those who will listen, those who will respond. And often we do hear it uh, as believers, but we don't respond in the way that we should. And why is it that we don't? Well, I think we're going to see today uh, from the example of David that no matter how much of the truth you know and how wonderful it is and you understand that, without a right heart, uh, you're not going to be able to respond to the word rightly. You wonder, you see these Pharisees in Scripture, you see the scribes, they knew the word so well, uh, you see people who go to church, they know the word so well, but it doesn't seem to be doing anything in their lives. Why is that? Maybe in your life or my life at times, we, we know the truth, but it doesn't seem to be changing us. Well, what's going on? Well, we're going to see that we need to have the right heart, the right attitude, and David is going to relay that for us. And I'm so glad as we turn to Psalm 19, turn there please, that David just didn't tell us of God's revelation to us through the heavens and then through his word and that's it he's going to go on as we'll see today and reveal the heart attitude that we should be striving for in faith uh, so that we would respond rightly to his word again turn with me to psalm 19 now we went through the first uh nine verses last week and we're going to continue and look at the last uh five verses 10 through 14 and so uh, I'm going to review quickly what we saw last week uh, a little later in the message here, but uh, it's going to be fast. And so go back, feel free to go back and get that message and, and look at uh, those wonderful statements as we see concerning the Word of God. So with this in mind, we see that this is a Psalm of David, and we know that Psalms are the inspired uh, lyrics to Israel's inspired hymns. We have uh, God speaking to uh to, through those uh, inspired by his spirit to bring forth these tremendous psalms. And here it's of David. David, uh, And we know that David uh, was a good man. Uh, he was a believer. 
Uh, he was the second king after Saul. He was a man after God's own heart who would do all of his will. Uh, the Lord would declare of him and would, he would be spoken of. And, and we see that even in Acts 13. Uh, he also testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And I hope that's what your desire is. That's mine. I want to do all the Lord's will. I want to be after his heart and do his desires. Yet we know David was a, was a, was a good man in Christ, a good man who would do his will, but he was also a sinner. He failed greatly, and we know from his failure uh, that, uh, that uh, there was evidence that he is actually a believer too because he responded to the reproof of Nathan the prophet. And although there were consequences in his house and with his kingdom, with his family, we see David endured through, and he was faithful to the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And he made it clear in Psalm 51 that after he turned and turned, that he would, he would instruct sinners of the way. He would instruct sinners. And that's what we see in the scriptures. So then let's take a look at Psalm 19. And I'm going to go back and read from the first uh, nine verses just to give us the context. And then we'll go into our verses, okay? Psalm 19. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And then this is where we'll start today. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of my hidden faults, or equip me of hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, this is a wonderful psalm, and as I pointed out, uh, last time, we are basic, there's basically three sections to this psalm. There's the first section which speaks of God's uh, uh, general revelation that all mankind hears and is accountable to. It's through the heavens. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. They're telling of it. It's coming forth. We see that. And then secondly, there is God's, and people call it his special revelation. I'm going to call it his specific revelation. There is his specific revelation and then we have how we are to respond. Where should our heart be? What should our attitudes be? And so then, let's just review what we saw last time. We saw, first of all, the heavens are telling everyone of God's glory, right? 
We saw that. The heavens are declaring, they're telling, the recounting of the glory of God through what he has made. There is no one that is hidden. Everyone experiences the heat of the sun. Uh, everyone sees it. Um, and the Lord declares uh, through what he has made. We see that he's God. We see like from Romans 1 that uh, he is He's God and there's, you're accountable to him. And there is, it's, it's, it's immistakable. And then we saw, uh, in the context of that, we saw a contrast in which the Lord speaks his glorious words to those who will listen. Everyone has to hear what he says through what he's made. Everyone does. But, uh, only those who are willing to listen to what he says specifically will benefit from it, as it will say. You see, God has spoken in contrast very specifically through his word. And if you're willing to listen, uh, there is great blessing. There is great blessing. Indeed, we saw that there's value in God's word because it's God's word and he uses it to work his will. We saw in the word of the Lord that it was perfect and complete without error, without blemish. We saw the word of the Lord was sure. It's solid. We saw the word of the Lord is upright, it's straight, it's not perverted or twisted. We saw the word of the Lord is, is pure in the sense that it's not dirty. We saw the word of the Lord is clean and that it has no impurities, it endures forever. We saw the word of the Lord is uh, true and altogether just and upright. And we saw what God's word does. What God's word does, um, it returns or restores the soul. Uh, it makes the wise, the simple wise. It brings joy to the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It's, it's, we see what God's word does. And so with that, the tremendous value of what God does through his word and understanding those incredible things, we come to see that actual value very displayed specifically. And so let's take a look at our passage here. And at this point, instead of the uh, precepts, commandments, uh, uh, fear, or whatever it might be of the Lord, he begins to say they. He, he, he keys off of the last verse. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. We're going to see that God's word is more valuable than anything that you could desire. It's more valuable than anything you could desire. Again, the they here speaks of those seven descriptions of God's word together. It's God's word. It's the word of the Lord. It's more desirable. And that word desirable in Hebrew means that. It means desirable. It just means desirable. It speaks of that which we desire or take pleasure in. And so David is saying here that the word of the Lord is actually more desirable than gold or literally much refined gold, that very valuable refined gold. It needs no refining. It's refined. It's pure. He's saying it's much more valuable. And I believe one thing missing in many churches these days and also missing uh, in many Christians' lives is a right understanding of God's word and the surpassing value of it. The surpassing value. The reality is uh, the blessed man, the one who sees God's word as valuable, seeks it more than gold and silver. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm gonna, there's all kinds of portions here, but I'm going to start in verse 13. Proverbs chapter 3, 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. 
She, now this wisdom is wisdom from God's word. It's God's word, by the way. She is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire compares with her. And folks, because we are fallen and we have this body of death and we have our old man and we're so tempted to think the way we used to think, we have these desires that are so skewed. And we need to be told again, nothing that we desire compares to God's word. It says here, nothing you desire compares to her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. Her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who hold her fast. Tremendous. God's wisdom from his word is far greater than any precious metal or jewels. It's far greater of a value. It brings blessing. It has pleasant ways, paths of peace, life and happiness to those who heed it. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sure is. You see, God's word comes from the Lord who is good. And when we value his word, we value him and we are blessed. Speaking of the great value of God's word and how we should see it, the writer of Proverbs says also in Proverbs 8.10, I'll read this for you. Take my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than the choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare with her. We need to get that in our head. We need to up the value of God's word in our head because of what God does with his word in the lives of those who will respond rightly, as we will see later on. Tremendous, tremendous. Nothing that you could desire can compare with what, what God's word is. Pretty amazing statement. And folks, uh, we need to renew our hearts uh, with this understanding of how valuable God's word is. Indeed, the writer of Proverbs begins that in chapter 2 of Proverbs. Let's turn back a little bit now to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, you see value, so you want, it, you want it, right? And so you seek after it. Then, notice this, you have the right heart attitude. You value God's word. Then you will discern or judge, be able to judge rightly the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. Turn your ear, incline your heart to seek God's wisdom from his word as treasure. Then you'll discern the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God, because he gives wisdom from his word and he guards our paths and preserves our way through his wisdom in our hearts and we gain discernment, wisdom, and discretion. God's word brings life. Sin brings death. But God's word brings life because it's from the living God and he uses it to protect us from the perils of sin and death, right? He uses it to protect us. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word I have what? Treasured 
in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word helps us, keeps us, directs us from sinning. We see in First uh, John chapter 2, these things have been written that you may not sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's appreciation for our sins. So what is your view of God's word? Well, I posit to you, if you go to one of these churches that has the 25-minute sermons every week, your view of God's word is not very high. Your view of what you desire is the, the music and the show or whatever it is. The reality is if you desire God's word, you're going to want to hear God's word. You're going to want to be in every Bible study. You're going to want to be hearing the word of God. And so what is your view of God's word? What is it? Do you seek wisdom through his word uh, more than silver and gold? Is it desirable to you? If it isn't and you're a believer, then sin's gotten in the way. Then your other desires have gotten in the way. Confess that. And seek him and seek his word. Seek it as treasure. Treasure his word in your heart. Store it up. Store it up. So we need to see the value of God's word. But notice God's word is not only valuable, it's sweet. It's sweet. You know, the term, these guys, you know, the young guys, I'm not a young guy anymore. They say something's really cool. They go, that's sweet, right? You know, well, the reality is we have this idea here, this truth that God's word is sweet. Look in verse 10, the middle of it. Back in our passage, Psalm 19, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So we have a vivid picture of something sweet, honey dripping from the comb. It's just pouring out. It's, it's, it's abundant. And God's word is sweeter than that. Indeed, if you are willing to uh, receive the difficult reproof from his word, then there is instantly the sweet correction and peace that comes from a heart that's being molded into the image of Christ. God's word is sweet. It's sweeter than the sweetest chocolate bar or candy. It's sweet. It's, it is sweet to us. It's a picture here. It's a picture. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 119, 103? How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How about Proverbs 24, 13? My son, eat honey for it's good. Yes, honey from the comb, sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is thus for your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. God's word is sweet to the soul. If your soul's in turmoil, uh, rife with the bitterness of life and sin, get into God's word. And if you are not saved, you'll discover the sweetness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. If you believe in him, you will partake of him and you will partake, you will receive his spirit, you'll be able to understand his word, and you will experience the sweetness of his word as he uses it to bring joy and peace in your life through a real relationship with him by his spirit through his word as we believe what he has said. So God's word is exceedingly valuable, and it is sweet to the soul. But notice David, David continues, Moreover, by them, that's referring back to God's word, that whole list of things, God's specific revelation through his word. Moreover, by them, verse 11, thy servant is warned. Thy servant is warned. The term moreover in Hebrew here, gam, it also speaks of something like in addition, to add to this. To add to this, by them thy servant is warned. 
This is a super important characteristic of the Word of God, by the way. It's almost, now here it's almost this word warned in Hebrew, Zohar, is almost always translated warned, but it's also important to understand it carries the sense of being instructed, taught, or admonished. It carries that sense. The idea of being warned through instruction, admonished through instruction. Indeed, in Exodus chapter 18, a passage where Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, is instructing him, he instructs Moses to limit his duty to teach the people, or this word here, to warn or instruct the people through the word. Exodus 18, 19 and 20. It's also translated instruction in Ecclesiastes 4.13. I'll read this for you. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old yet and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. Poor uh, wise lad uh, is better than an old foolish king who can't receive instruction or warning, right? This word is almost uh, uniquely translated warn in the context of Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And most of the time concerning the watchman, Ezekiel is to warn those. He's to warn them to turn from their sin or they will die in their sins. God says, all souls are mine. The soul that sins will die. Therefore, repent and live, Ezekiel 18. But Ezekiel has also used this word here to speak to the righteous man in Ezekiel chapter 321. However, if you have warned the righteous man, that's our word, instructed with warning in it, and that righteous man should not sin and he does not sin, he shall live because he took warning and you have delivered yourself. That's speaking of the watchman. So moreover by it, we're warned. But notice who the we are that are warned. He says, moreover by them, thy servant is warned. These are those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, looking to the cross from the Old Testament, looking back to the cross from now, from our point. We've come to the cross. We've, we believed in Jesus Christ like the Thessalonians. They turned to serve the one and only true living God. We serve the living God. We are his servants. We are his bond servants. And he uses his word to warn us of the dangers of sin. Our sin, other people's sin, the wickedness of the world. He warns us. He protects us. He instructs us. Moreover, by his word, we are warned. We're warned. David shares in Psalm 17:4, As for the deeds of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept from the pass of the violent. By his word, it's warning me. It's kept me away from that. I didn't go that way. I didn't suffer the consequences. God's word warned me in that. God also speaks of the consequences in his word in Proverbs through Solomon of those who don't take heed of the warning. God warns us, but if you don't listen, you're going to be at the end of yourself saying, why did I not listen? Why did I not listen? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out at the entrance of the gates of the city. She utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Turn to my reproof. Or you could say warning. Turn to that. Right? Uh, Behold, I pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. God's specific word is out there for you, but you can reject that, by the way. It's not like the general revelation. It's there every day. You, you can't ignore it. He calls up to us. If you neglect it, you're going to find yourself in bad situation. 
and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel, did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like the storm, and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently. They shall not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them, and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and be at ease of the dread of evil. God warns us in his word concerning sin, concerning evil, concerning us yielding to that ourselves, concerning the sin of others. He warns us. He protects us. Moreover, by them, thy servant is warned. Is warned. He is warned. And notice he says, in keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 11. In keeping what? It's keeping God's word. The word keeping means to obey. In obeying God's word, there is great reward. Again, the value. The value. And see, in the context of Scripture, obedience comes from faith. When we believe what God says and we walk with him, we will obey him. You see, when we believe the word of God and the God of the word, we'll obey what he says and there is great reward. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 11:18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. There's all kinds of passages concerning rewards. I'm going to share a little bit about it. I'm not going to go into it too deeply. But uh, we saw back in Hebrews chapter 11 a couple weeks ago, without faith it is impossible to please God, 11:6. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Now that reward comes in the context of obedience to his word, by the way. Psalm 19, verse 1, speaking of the law of the Lord, moreover by them thy servant is warned. That's our verse. In keeping them there is great reward. Reward, Great reward. Proverbs 13, 13, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 18, 11, or 11, 18, the wicked earns deceptive rages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. A true reward. We saw that earlier. And we know that there is a judgment seat of Christ. We know in 2 Corinthians 5 that we all must peer before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's for believers. That's for believers. We know that when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, we did what was right, we believed the truth, we obeyed the Lord and were persecuted. When we are persecuted, our reward in heaven is great, Jesus would say. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. We know that how we live in terms of obedience to the word of God is going to reveal uh, what rewards we get. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me share that. Actually, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, in keeping God's word, there's great reward. And if you're a parent, by the way, on a side note, use rewards with your kids. Yes, you've got to discipline. Use rewards. God does so. It's okay. Use rewards. God rewards us for what we do. He's not unjust. 
First Corinthians chapter three, verse eight. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now we're going to see that labor is in the context of being built on the apostles and prophets, Christ the cornerstone. That's the word of God that's brought through Christ, the apostle prophet, being built up on them. And he says here, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's build, God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, this is Paul speaking, and another has built upon it. Paul was obedient to the Lord in his apostleship, shared the word of God, right? But let each one be careful how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive reward, a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet yet so as through fire. We know from Colossians chapter 3, we're to do our work heartily under the Lord and unto men. We're to do so uh, because we know that from the Lord we will receive the reward of the inheritance. We're serving the Lord. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. We know that when Jesus comes, he will bring his reward with him. Revelation 22:12. We also know that we can lose our reward by sinning. The Apostle John was very thankful that his children were walking in the truth. They were believing and thus obeying the truth. But he warned them about associating with those who didn't believe the same truth about Jesus and that they would share in their sins, that they would lose, actually, reward. Second John, uh, verse 8, Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, that you may receive a full reward. The potential was if they gave a greeting, they even associate with these false teachers, these bad guys, that they would lose a reward. You can read Second John. So God, through his word, rewards us when we obey him. Through keeping his word, there is great reward. There is great reward. What you do now counts. It matters eternally. You see, God is not so unjust to forget your work and the love which you've shown towards his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. We obey the word in loving one another and serving him. He rewards us. This should be a great encouragement if you've been obeying the Lord. Yes, we fail. We confess that. We know we're forgiven. But nothing is insignificant. There is great reward. In keeping them, there is great reward. So then, what a wonderful picture of God's word along with all that he does. It's valuable. It's sweet to the soul. It warns us that in keeping it, there is great reward. This tremendous word that does its work in us. And with that in mind, what should be our response? There are some people that know God's word really, really well. And they can spout it off in a second. But are they responding right to that? Are they responding right to the truth and the God of the truth? Notice this parish portion. We're going to start in verse 12. It seems to be totally disconnected from what we've just read. But it isn't. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. 
I find this amazing that after revealing God's majesty through his general revelations, which the heavens declare to all, and then his specific revelation uh, in his word for those who will listen, David now reveals the heart attitude we must have in the context of seeking and desiring to obey the Lord. It's so important. And we're going to see that heart attitude is a humble heart that recognizes one's propensity to fall and need for the Lord to protect and guide and lead and also uh, forgive. Notice what he says here. First of all, who can discern his heirs? This is emphatic in Hebrew. Uh, in, in Hebrew, you have verb, subject, object. That's the normal way. But when you put the object first or the subject first, then it's emphatic. Here we have it like this. Heirs. Who can discern them? Who can discern it? Now this term heirs here speaks of a mistake. An oversight. You think if I made an error on my report, you, you made a mistake. You Instead of writing a two, you wrote a, you wrote a seven. You made an error, right? You made a mistake. You had an oversight. It speaks of in this context, as we will see, transgression through ignorance inadvertently making a mistake, inadvertently doing so. And the term discern here literally means to understand. Who can understand his oversights and inadvertent errors through ignorance? Who can understand that? The implication is none of us can truly catch all those completely apart from God's help, as we're going to see. We need God to help us. We need to humble ourselves, and God needs to show us those things. Who can catch them? You know, we know and we need to have a heart that realizes we're going to mess up inadvertently, not deliberately. We're going to see this. It's not deliberate sin, by the way. It's very important to note that. So he says, who can discern his heirs? And then he says, acquit me of my hidden faults. It's in parallel, hidden faults and heirs. It refers to the heir. Hidden faults refers to heirs. Now this term, many have mistranslated this, I believe, as hidden faults, as someone who is hiding his sin from God. Well, that's true. You know, you, you don't hide your sin. We need to uh, confess it and, and, and turn from it, and you'll find compassion, right? right? But this isn't speaking of someone's hidden faults that they're hiding. In context, it's speaking of those faults that aren't seen because they are ignorant to them. They are inadvertent. They are heirs. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about deliberate hiding sin. Those inadvertent things done through ignorance. Who can discern those errors? Acquit me of hidden faults, of the hidden, those things that I don't see, that I don't see. They're hidden to me. I need to know about it. I need to be acquitted from it. Now, this term acquit here really has, carries a sense of cleansing and being thus innocent. If someone's acquitted from a, uh, a charge, they're declared innocent, right? <coughs> he says, acquit me. He says, basically, cleanse me from the inadvertent sins I've committed that I'm unaware of that are hidden from my understanding. That's the heart I need to have. I need to have that first of all. I need to have this heart. I need to have that. Lord, cleanse me from these inadvertent sins I'm unaware of. Folks, we're seeing humility here. This is how we need to come to God in his word. We need to have this humility, as we'll say. And then notice what he says here. There's another portion. Also... Now, that's that same word, gam. It means in addition. It was translated moreover earlier. In addition to that, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. 
Let them not rule over me. Now, this one gets misunderstood too. Because we have a very narrow view of presumption, by the way. Right? And we see it from our perspective. When he talks about presumptuous sins, we're going to see this is uh, comes from the Hebrew word zed, which speaks of arrogance and pride and insolence and presumption. You know, presumption carries pride. You know, our little presumptions, they carry big pride, by the way, because we think we know something when we really don't. That's pride, by the way. That's why that word is translated presumptuous here. But what he's saying here is, keep back thy servant from these prideful, arrogant, insolent, presumptuous sins. These are overt sins that he's about to commit with his own volition. They're not hidden and mistakes. They're not things that he did inadvertently. These are the outright sins. And so first of all, he says, equip me from the hidden ones, the ones I don't see. Cleanse me from that. And then secondly, he says, keep me back from these overt, presumptuous sins, rebellious sins that come through pride and arrogance, flagrant sins, in contrast to the sins I commit that I'm unaware that you cleanse me from, keep me back from flagrantly sinning. The term keep back means refrain, withhold. How many times do you ask God to keep you from sinning? That's the heart we need to have. We are, we are, we in our flesh are, are, are prone to sinning, prone to wander. Lord, I know it, right? We need to go to God. We need to ask him to lead us not into temptation. We need to ask him to keep us back. I'm going to fail, Lord, unless you're in control of me. You've got to be in control of me or I'm going to fail. He says, keep me back. With The term keep back means to refrain, withhold. In the context, this is a prayer of humility. Recognize, I'm going to sin without your intervention, Lord. Now we're going to see God uses his word to keep us back. He uses his spirit to keep us back. He uses other believers following him to keep us back. We're going to see that. Do you remember a time when David uh, was going to slay the fool, Nabal? Remember that? He was going to slay him. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, wisely interceded. What did David say about that? It's very interesting. Let's turn there. 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25, verse 30. It's interesting what he says. 1 Samuel 25, and then verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you to me this day, and blessed blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Now he's giving Abigail the credit there, but he knows it's God that did it through her. Look down at verse 34. Nevertheless, nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you. Right? Verse 34 there. I think that's the same chapter. I wouldn't make a mistake on that. Is that the same 125? Yep, very good. Got a thumbs up. Um, Unless you had come to to meet me, quickly meet me, surely there would have not been left, there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as as much as one male. The Lord God of Israel is who has restrained me. Lord God, keep me back from flagrant sin. Keep me back from sinning overtly from my own will. Not the things I just missed, I had an error I messed up in. Keep me back 
from that. We need to have this heart attitude in our relationship with the Lord as we come to his word. You know, some people know his word so well, but they're not saying, Lord, keep me back from sin. They think, I'm so great. I'm so clean. I'm so right. I'm great. I know his word. I'm amazing. No, it's a keep me back from this. I can fall in a second, Lord. Keep me back. And then trusting that he will, by the way, and trusting that he will. He says, also keep back, back in our passage, thy servant from presumptuous sins. And then he says, let them not rule over me. He knew. He knew that when you yield to those sins, he didn't talk about the inadvertent ones. He talked about the ones that are the overt ones. They're going to rule over. I'm not saying that sin doesn't rule over us, but I'm saying here specifically, it's those presumptuous sins. It's those sins of pride. It's the sins of acting in our own. Uh, he says, let them not rule over me. You know, Jesus made it clear that those who sin become a slave to sin. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone commits sin as a slave to sin. And folks, not only does sin bring temporal and eternal death, it brings also enslavement. But folks, when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. If the Son shall set you free, you're free indeed. But yet we... Believers, when we are not using his word to, to warn us, we're not allowing him to warn us through his word, we're not listening to him with the right heart, we can offer ourselves to enslavement again through sin, by the way. And David is very aware of that. Let them not rule over me. Just read Romans chapter 6. But praise the Lord, if we confess our sins, renew our minds, recognize we are united to Christ, and thus freed from sin's temporary enslavement, uh, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to him. We are free. We are free. So then back to our passage. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then, then I shall be blameless. I shall be acquitted or cleansed, innocent of great transgression. David understood that when you're in the Lord and he sets you free from sin, you're free indeed. But he believed that his presumptuous sins could rule over him. He understood that. He prayed, Lord, don't let them rule over me. Keep me back from it. Then he would be blameless, acquitted of great transgression. You see, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a prayer of humility. We can be in the Word all day long, but if we don't come to God with a humble, dependent heart... The word does no work in us. We will be entrapped by the consequences of our flagrant disobedience and sin. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of my hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be acquitted of great transgression. I'm going to be clean when I trust in the Lord for forgiveness. So how we respond to the marvel of God's word? Or to humbly, dependently obey the Lord. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We're not adequate to consider anything coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God. You see, this comes in the context of a real relationship with the Lord. You see, if you try to obey him apart from depending on him, acknowledging your vulnerability to falling apart from his intervention, then you're just going to be on your own. If you try to obey apart from relying on Christ, you're no greater than the Pharisees. Our obedience to the Lord must come in the context of faith manifest in humble dependence and obedience in a real relationship. And then notice David's heart as we finish. Notice this. This is wonderful. 
Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, uh, equip me of those things I don't see, those small inadvertent errors, Lord God. Keep me back from outright sinning that it wouldn't rule over me. Uh, then I'll be blameless and quitted a great transgression. And then here we go. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is what is missing in those who know the word but don't know the Lord. This is what is missing. A real relationship. A relationship where you're walking with him. You're talking with him. You're praying. Notice what he says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. The term acceptable often spoke of that which would be favorably received in the context of an offering. Let it be receptible. It talks about the heart. That speaks of the inner man, the mind. It's who you are. It's, you know, you are what you think, right? Concerning the wicked man, so as he thinks he is, right? In Proverbs. Let my words and what I think about and meditate on be favorable in your sight. It's a prayer for God to tune David's heart aright. Tune my heart aright. Let what I say and what I think be favorable, Lord God. He's a prayer. It's a prayer. He's not saying that I'm just going to go do my thing and I hope that it's favorable in your sight. He's saying, let it be. Would you make it that way? It's a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. It's the way we should be thinking. That's the way we should be coming to the Word of God, in humility and dependence. You see, because God's Word will work in us, but it won't work in us if we're not humble. It won't work in us if we're not dependent. It won't work in us if we're not recognizing our propensity to sin and our need for Jesus to intervene. God has to work in us. So he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, O Lord, and notice what he says. He calls him my rock and my redeemer. Read the Psalms. You'll see this is true. He's not just using words, you know, saying, hey, he's giving labels to the Lord. He really believes this. He really believes this. He is his rock and his redeemer. The term rock speaks of stability, speaks of a foundation. Notice in the Psalm, a song of, of Moses, he says in the Song of Moses, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 3, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. We know this first, the steadfast of mind will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. Thou will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Right? But what about the next verse? Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. He's solid. He's trustworthy. Trust in him forever. He's our rock. Hopefully he's your rock. I hope, you know, it's good to have a good husband or wife. And some people say, my wife is my rock. My husband, well, that's great. But I hope the Lord is your rock. I hope he is what you stand on. I hope he is what you, what you, what you find your stability in. Our God is solid, he's trustworthy, he's a rock. Therefore, he is also a refuge and fortress for us. This is Psalm 18, repeated from 2 Samuel. David spoke the words of this psalm, 2 Samuel 22. 
uh, to the Lord in the day that he delivered from him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. Thou dost save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. He's our rock. We take refuge in him. We take refuge in him. Is he your rock? Is he the one you go to for stability? Is he the one that holds you up? Is he your rock? Psalm 62, I read it earlier. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He is, he only is my rock and my salvation. It's the Lord's got to be your rock. Don't depend on mankind. They're going to fail you. God says don't do it, first of all. Depend on Christ. He'll never fail you. He will never forsake you. He is our rock. He is our rock, our stronghold. But notice David also understands that he is his redeemer also. My rock and my redeemer. My redeemer. My rock, it's personal. My redeemer, it's personal. The term translated redeemer here comes from the Hebrew word goel. It speaks of buying back, recovering, redeeming. Now, the basic idea of redemption is to achieve a transfer of ownership from one to another through a payment of a price of equivalent substitute. And here it is speaking of the Lord, the I am, as the Redeemer. Indeed, we know in Scripture that the Lord is the one who redeemed or ransomed his people from bondage of Egypt, right? We know that. We see in the Psalms often that the Lord redeems or delivers his people from danger. We see extensively in the Old Testament redemption from human situations. We certainly see that. But we also see that the Lord redeems us from our spiritual danger. He redeems us from our iniquities, our iniquities. Job said, as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. What the psalmist say in Psalm uh, 130? O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why? For because, or because with the Lord there is loving kindness and with him there is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Promise of Israel's salvation. We see that in Romans chapter 11. You see, God paid the price for our sins by sending Jesus to the cross. He paid the price on the cross for our sins. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid the price for us. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.17, if you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to ancient work, you, you believe he's ju- he judges when he's given judgment to the Son, by the way, you believe that. Conduct yourselves in fear in your time stayed during the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Paul would say to the Corinthians, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Ephesians 1, seven. in him we have redemption through his blood. And he explains it, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.13, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is our redeemer. 
So when I think of him, I think of him as my stability, everything to me, and he's also my savior, my redeemer. That's who I'm praying to. That's who I'm thinking about. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, be pleasing in your sight. You see, pray that, and God will prompt you when it's not, by the way. When you're praying that, you're going to be realizing, ooh, that's not, right? Let it be this way, Lord God. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, and my redeemer. You see, one of the problems with people who know a lot of the word of God but seem not to be changed is that their hearts have not been humbled before the Lord. And we can be that way at times. We can become prideful. We need to humble ourselves and understand what God does through his word. We need to humble ourselves before him and recognize that we have a propensity to sin, that we even sin in air without knowing it. And we need him to cleanse us of those things. We need him to, to, to protect us and keep us back from those outright sins that we wouldn't be enslaved, that we'd be blameless then. And we need to have the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart. May it be acceptable in thy sight, my rock and redeemer. Don't ever read Psalm 19 and just the beginning or the middle. Read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And uh, we are so vulnerable to pride and sin, but yet you are a gracious God. You restore our souls through your word. You change us. You make us more like your son. Lord, help us see the value of your word. Help us not to diminish it in our minds through being busy or self-focused, Lord God. Help us see your word as valuable. And may that come out in our lives and the the type of churches we go to and the the Bible studies we, we, we look at, whatever it might be, Lord God. Help us to value you and thus your word. Father, I pray that we would come before you in humility. We would want you to acquit us of our errors, those things we don't see. That we would be humble and, and know that we're going to fall and we need your help not to sin greatly. Keep us back from sinning, Lord God, as a body and individually. Lord God, and may the meditation of our hearts and our words be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.